He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. Andy Hall's giving Laser Hellraisers his plus one. An exclusive conversation you won't hear anywhere else. On today's edition of Hall Access. A true renaissance man in every sense of the word. By every definition, he has seen and done more in his lifetime than the vast majority could ever dream. He is singer, speaker, activist, actor, writer, host, and prophetic traveler, among other things. He is Henry Rollins, joining me via the Laser Hotline. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Before we get started, I just want to say how much I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Oh, thank you, man. Thanks very much. I've uh, followed you and your career over three decades and uh, considered a pretty big honor to share the airwaves with you. So thank you, first and foremost. Oh, you're very welcome, and and thanks for checking out what I've been doing. The Good to See You 2022 run of dates begins soon, and it certainly has been a while. Uh, We in Des Moines are fortunate to be seeing you live at Hoyt Sherman Place Saturday, April 23rd. Has this been the longest touring hiatus in the history of your career? Yes. Uh, The last tour I was on was 2018, and that was uh, I went around the world showing uh, slides of, of photos I had taken from my, like twenty some thirty some countries, and that sh- uh, tour ended of all places Kiev, Ukraine, and so uh, after that, that was twenty eighteen. I was gathering material and working in twenty nineteen, hoping to tour in twenty twenty, and COVID. Man, Kiev was your last tour stop. How ironic is that? It's and my European dates just fell out. I should have been returning from them a few days ago. I was supposed to be in Moscow like like, like 10 days ago, which would have been my eighth time there to Russia. And I, I doubt they would have let me in and, you know, don't drink the tea. And so this has all been, you know, obviously horrible to watch, but I've just been thinking that all the people at those shows in 16 and 18, there's no way that their lives are the same as when I first encountered them. So that's been, that's been something I've been thinking of. But no, I've been, like everyone else, still breathing on the planet. My life is different than it was before COVID. So over the last few years, I've just been doing what I could to remain busy and do what I can without the ability to travel or tour. And, you know, I can't complain because everyone's been being put through it. But it's been it's been hard on me to have an entire tour evaporate in one email uh, multiple times. Like my European tour just went away. My Australian dates for September just went away. So uh, my life has been kind of like, you know, surfing on lava. Not having the ability to be free to make arrangements and jump on a plane to a destination of your desire, as has been on brand for you for so many years, and you've done so many times before, how have you come to grips with how that part of your life, as important as it is, is now potentially changed forever? I, from touring and living in pretty interesting surroundings, I've learned to accept, adapt, and move as quickly as possible. And so I realized within about a year of this thing starting, and I'm not a scientist, I had no idea what it was going to become. But when I started to get my head around just the the magnitude of this, I basically said goodbye to my old life. Hmm. And I, you know, mourned it and went, okay, um, 
life is short. I got to move. So what can I do? Because days of inactivity are not working for me. And, yeah, as they don't work for you, you got to find a way to do something. And so I just, I deal in absolutes. You know, I, I accept it. I'm not saying like, I accept it lying down, but a global pandemic's bigger than me. Like death and taxes, it's a little bigger than me. Hmm. And so I just have to accept what I cannot change. Never heard that before. <laughs> and, and just get on with what is possible. And that's it. I mean, I, I had to cancel an amazing trip I had going to Antarctica. My, it would have been my second time, uh, which would have maybe been a big part of the next talking tour. would have been that, that second time to the Antarctic Peninsula and gone and other other things gone. And so I just sucked it up and went, okay, so this is how it is. So let's go. And I went, and here I am. So I, since COVID hit, I finished three books, which I would have finished anyway. I mean, it's just work I'm going to do. But I kind of just focused on these projects and other ones. And then a thing I try and do it's just a, a, a my low rent ethos. Um, I try and come up with an idea. That I just there's no way I'm going to pull it off. But but maybe if I work insanely hard, have some wind, in, you know, uh, in my sails, you know, get some luck, I can maybe pull it off. So I, uh, between my manager and I, she's very very smart. She hit me with an idea. I was like, oh that we have to do that. And so we've been working on that. And the more we kind of put our shoulder into it, the less impossible it became. And since I am loath to put the cart in front of the horse, lest the whole thing fall over, which is very possible, <laughs> um, we will hopefully be unveiling this thing in the next couple of years. And if I pull it off, just remember this conversation. And so that was I needed something to a reason to get up in the morning besides I'm going to sit and edit a book for nine hours, which is, informs a lot of my day. It's, it's what I was doing until a few minutes before I called you. It's, it's what I'll be doing once we're done. I'm going, going back to a book project. They take eight million hours to complete. But I also have this other thing I'm working on and preparing for tour, of course. So... Um, as long as I have something to do, I can kind of withstand, I have found out, global pandemics. Henry Rollins has been kind enough to join me today via the Laser Hotline, a storied career that began almost like a dream, how you ended up becoming Black Flag's frontman uh, and continues to this day in speaking engagements like we'll see at Hoyt Sherman Place on April 23rd. Henry, I heard your interview with Rick Rubin, an excellent conversation between the two of you. One revelation that has, of course, gotten some traction since has been your assertion that you don't plan to do music anymore. Uh, in your words, there's no more toothpaste in the tube. What made you come to that realization? I had no more lyrics, and I just didn't, I no longer thought in lyrical form. Like, if you made me, like, sit down and write a song, I'd have to write it like someone who just likes listening to the radio, well, I'll make something rhyme, and love, dove, hmm, uh, a chorus, oh no, call Paul McCartney, because I'm not him. <laughs> right. And so one day, it was just over. 
you know, I'm not a musician. I can't play an instrument. I, I can pick them up and carry them, but I, I can't. I, I can't play them. And so it's not like I'm looking for a career in music. I mean, please remember, uh, as, as you just prefaced, uh, I was working in an ice cream store, and my favorite band, Black Flag, said, we need a new singer. You're crazy. You want an audition? And I'm like, well, let's see. It's either scooping ice cream and moving on to another minimum wage job after I'm sick of this one, or I can go humiliate myself in a practice room and audition for Black Flag. And obviously, you know what I chose. And so my life has been, well, what am I doing here? And so I'm not a musician. And once I didn't have the overwhelming urge to write lyrics, I can't be like songsmith guy and like come and just like architect my way through a song. If I don't have it, I don't have it. And many people will tell you I never had it. <laughs> but, but, you know, be that as it may, it's, it's too late now. The tape has been rolled. And so uh, one morning I woke up and I went, I'm done. And I looked in my hand and the metaphorical stone was in it that I took from the master's hand. And um, it was time to leave the temple. So I called my manager at the time and I said, hey, I'm done with music. And I'm, I can be pretty blunt with things like that. And he saw 10% of all of that just go up in smoke. <laughs> no more sushi for you, son. And he, he had a meltdown. He's like, no! I'm like, well, yeah. Like, we'll do a greatest hits tour. We? You're not on tour with me. Oof. And I have no greatest hits. And I don't want to stand on stage and be a human jukebox because it wouldn't be 100% sincere. It would be, yeah, 98%. It'd be, but it's the 2% that you'd remember after you left, going, something was off. Yeah, it's over, and I'm still there. And so I leapt into the great unknown, and I stopped. Luckily for me, I had the talking tours were going. The book company was going. I was already doing voiceover, film, TV, hosting, you know, all kinds of, you know, writing for different publications. So I had things going on. So I just kind of filled in the music gap with all of that stuff and actually became busier because of all of it. And so it was a very quick decision, which I've never regretted. And you know, I pivot pretty hard. Once I'm done with something, once I make my mind up, I, I'm done. And that's it. And I call the people I have to disassemble. Like I called my band members. I said, fellas. Uh, we've reached the scene. The long march is over. Mm. Thank you. And I'm out. And they probably had no indication from me before those phone calls I made. And they're like, oh, okay. I said, yeah. So um, thanks. It was great. And I can't do what I can't do. And uh, call me if I can be of help with anything. And that was that was it. On the spectrum of I'm really done with this, where are you at in terms of, it's been about 20 years, but in the early days of my radio career, I played a lot of music from the album Rise Above, 24 Black Flag songs to benefit the West Memphis Three. Now, obviously, that's an extraordinary set of circumstances that inspired that release, but if you're not planning to write any more music, are you open to ever doing something like that Rise Above album again? Um, as you said so well, extraordinary circumstances. And I, I revere those songs. And they're not mine. If that's the genius of Greg Ginn and Chuck Dukowski, 
I mean, I wrote, I, I did a few lyrics, but the songs you really like that you remember of that band, that's Greg and Chuck. It's, it's, it's not any of my input. I just, I was just lucky enough to be there to sing them as best I could. Hmm. And so, um, I don't know of a circumstance that would draw me back into that. Or if there was a circumstance that extraordinary, I don't know whether I'd answer it with music. I would probably go do a tour of just me alone and I would take that money and I would donate it. Or what I have been doing for many years now, I don't talk about it uh, much, uh, but my company my companies, um, we donate money every six months to different organizations we believe in. And pre-COVID, um, we donated a lot of money to Cindy Lauper's outfit, who works with LGBT runaway kids. That's cool. Home, home, homeless kids. And we also did her benefit, and I actually did the I was part of the benefit, the COVID version, the year after. Hmm. And Cindy Lauper and I actually got on stage at the Nokia Theater in Los Angeles for her benefit. And she did rise above together. Oh, my God. If you go, you can watch it online. And, and um, she called, uh, her people called my person, <laughs> Heidi, and said, um, does Henry like Cindy Lauper? <laughs> and Heidi yelled over, we have offices next to each other, like, do you like Cindy Lauper? I'm like, every day. She's great and a great advocate for people. And I said, yeah. She goes, okay, they want to do something with you. But I told them, you don't have a band. They said, they have one. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I, I, I don't even think in those terms anymore. She goes, I have the idea. Heidi's great. I go, what's your idea? She goes, you two are going to do it and do Rise Above. That's, wow. Call it in. And so Heidi gets on the phone with Cindy's really, really cool uh, manager, person and says, here's a, here's a concept. And I believe Cindy Lauper texted Heidi a two-word answer. The first word we can't say on the radio, <laughs> and the second word was, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and that's Cindy in a nutshell. And so I met her days later at, at band practice. And um, so I really like this song. Okay, am I singing it right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> surreal being on this practice stage with her and we you know we bashed the song out the band was really happy to be able to play it and then we did it for the we did sound check at the nokia then we, we played a total of five times three at band practice once a sound check and then once live in front of people and the the one where we did it in front of people actually was the best one and we walked off stage and she said to me that was the best of the five i said i agree mm. and people were like what the hell is this and I'm sure there's a few members of Black Flag who looked at it and went, okay. <laughs> like, like <laughs> the, eagle, the, the eagle landed again. Who knows? Oh. But um, that, was, that was something I did without hesitation because it was a benefit and you can do something. But as far as marshalling that kind of human power, I mean, that record cost me 70000 bucks to make and no regrets. Um, and we had to call in a lot of favors like you know ice ice tea is a busy man but he and i go way back so you know i i reached out and you know i, I reached out to chuck d i reached out to iggy pop i mean these are people i have a lot of respect for and i'm very hesitant to go hey hmm. because i don't want to hear no and i don't want them to go yeah 
you know, but the, everyone was cool. You know, I reached out to Lenny, Tom or Raya, and everyone said yes. Everyone we asked said yes, actually. Um, we were damn lucky. I think it was a combination of people liking the, the, the material, again, Greg Ginn, and people knowing about what the, the, who the West Memphis Three were and how wrong uh, people thought the accusations against those three young men were. Mm-hmm. And so we lucked out. We made, a, I, I think, a damn good sounding record. And we did a whole world tour. My band members got paid because uh, they have real lives. Uh, my road manager said, let me, let me advise. Don't even get per diem from this. Get nothing. So you can just walk away clean and say you didn't get a penny from this. I, I didn't want any money. Yeah, but he said, don't even get a per diem. Let's just skip that. I went, oh, fine. And so I, I, that was two years of my life to, to do all that. And a lot of people chipping in, too. It wasn't just me, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I, I doubt anything would happen where I would pull out the music sword again. I would fight, but from a different corner of the arena. Makes sense. Henry Rollins is my special guest. Hoyt Sherman Place, April 23rd. We're excited about the show. We always are every time you come to town. We just recently had Bruce Dickinson come through at that same venue. A a very similar storytelling format to your show. I know you've spoken about your experience opening for his band, Iron Maiden, which was one of my all-time favorite stories that you've ever shared. But I wondered if any of these artists, whether it be Bruce or our mutual friend Corey Taylor, who also speaks on occasion, have any of these people come to you for advice or consultation, considering how extensive your experience is in this particular format, Henry? No. Um, I've known Corey since the Rise Above record. That's how I met him. And, and I see him like every, you know, 100 years. I mean, we're just in different altitudes. I mean, he's, he's packing arenas. You know, I'm, I'm packing station wagons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he gives away more more items than I sell. I mean, he wrote a book, right? I mean, you could probably take my entire 30-some book catalog and it didn't sell as much as his book. So we're just in different, different, on different planets. Uh, I, I think he's, a, he's an excellent guy and a great singer. And, you know, he's got stories. I mean, he's, he's seen a lot go down. Um, but no, he's never come to me for advice. Maybe uh, I should go to him for advice. Maybe I, 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 uh, eat, uh, I'd eat more meals a day. Um, Bruce Dickinson probably doesn't know I exist, probably has no idea that the Rollins band went and suffered his Lisbon audience mm-hmm. all those years ago. Made it, made Yes, <laughs> best story ever. Great. But, you know, that's what happens when you open for a band that's super beloved, that's going to do like a two-plus-hour set like when I saw Led Zeppelin 122 years ago, there's no opening band. Like why? Like why bother? Just just put on a nice record over the PA. <laughs> it, it it would have to be like David Bowie opening. Like no one wants to see the opening band when Iron Maiden is playing. <laughs> and it weren't, we weren't shabby, but no one. People just kind of stood there with their arms crossed. Like okay, make it quick. And then mercifully, the gods of rock intervened, and our guitar player's rented gear blew up. And I said, our guitar 
you know, literally smoke, kaboom. Oh, man. And I said, the gear is blown up, and everyone applauded. <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you, thank you. Oh, no. And we, you know, limped off stage. <laughs> that was that. But, you know, my, made with three guitars, man, it is a really full stage sound. I mean, it's not, they're not messing around, those guys. Um, but it was one of those days where you just, like, laugh. Like, what do you, like, it's just, Spinal Tap was, there's so many moments of Spinal Tap or Spinal Tap-like experiences that have happened to me that that film was prophetic. Mm. Like the, the in-store, no one shows up and the guy comes up and blames himself. <laughs> but, um, you know, the playing in, in front of like people who don't want to see you, that was not the first time that has happened to me. Oh, man. So, uh, well, you know, it's if you can't laugh about it, you're really not built for this business you know you have to have a pretty thick skin because you will take a lot of incoming fire i want to ask this in another interview that you gave during the pandemic you spoke of your lifelong passion as a music appreciator and consumer and i love how you broke it down into two groups the proteins bands previously unfamiliar to you and then the carbohydrates are the stuff that you're already familiar and love Uh, considering the comforts of modern technology it's become so much easier to discover new music and get turned on to something cool what are your preferred platforms or methods because i'll share with you that one of mine is your radio show on kcrw and LA. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. You know, I learned to do radio at KCRW under the great uh, uh, auspices of, of Deirdre O'Donoghue, who passed away in 2000. And so um, I miss her every day. But I learned from, I think, the best. And it's really cool to actually have a show on that station where I learned to do a radio show in the first place. I, I utilize, well, I'm 61, but I don't have to act like it. And so I I think it's just attitude. I know a lot of people who kind of put their toes on the starting blocks in the 80s like I did, and they've become very, well, back in my day, we used to, okay, and well, music was better then. Like, really? Mm -hmm. I I can't disagree more. I think music is fluid. There's always going to be great music, because there's always going to be someone, you know, angry, who's going to plug in and put it on 11. And I buy new records for the last several years. I don't think independent music's been better. I mean, I, I, I think records that are coming out right now are fantastic, brilliant musicians. And so I utilize Bandcamp I, because you can just listen. I listen to my listeners. Like someone will write me like, hey, I was just in South by Southwest, and I saw this band I think you're going to like called Kikugaku Moyo, who <laughs> just are sadly breaking up. Great band from Japan. And like, man, it, it just sounds like it's right, like, like it would be something you'd be playing this weekend. And I go to their band camp site, I listen, I like, I buy. Or, or I keep in touch with labels. I'm allied with a lot of independent labels. And they'll just send me downloads of like what's coming out in the next six months. They go, please, you know, this is no airplay till May, and I abide. And I don't even talk about the, the music like, if you ever heard me say we have things to look forward to this year, Fanatic, on the radio show, it's because I have three records on my hard drive that if before, I'm not going to announce it before the label, so I just, you know, I keep my mouth shut, but I just tell them, we, we, trust me, good things are coming. Hmm. I mean, I've heard records that are coming out hopefully this year with the vinyl slowdown that I, I can't talk about, but oh, they're so good. 
and a couple that I'll be putting out uh, with my pal Larry in the Red Records that I can't talk about because, you know, we want to have a fun surprise, but, you know, they're amazing too. And so I, I listen to my listeners, like when they write me, I read the email, I keep in touch with tons of independent labels who know that I'm trustworthy, and I'm on the internet all the time looking, like I'm, I'm a fan for the most part. I, I like to put on a record and become obsessed with a new band. And that's a way to keep your head out of the ground and look around. And I've never been impressed with myself. I, I want to know what you're doing. You know, the rest of the world is far more interesting. And that keeps me always looking for new music. And hopefully that enthusiasm informs the radio show to where I'm excited to, to get these songs out in front of you. And the listeners are hopefully happy to listen, and they become curious as well. And I think that becomes infectious. I also think it becomes one of those things that becomes a self-generating energy machine. Hmm. Like the more you become interested, the more interesting things are, because you're open to, hey, listen to this, okay. And I don't like everything I listen to, like, oh, in that uh, someone will go, hey, listen to this. And I'll hear it. I go, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it does, it's not my flavor. I mean, not everything can be. There, there's someone I know on the East Coast. If you ever hear me uh, thank a, a person I've named the McGinty on my show, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I want to protect this person's identity. But uh, the McGinty will send me up to like 10 Bandcamp addresses at once. The McGinty is, is, never sleeps. Uh, always looking for new music, and I've been building a lot of shows in advance because of touring. And the McGinty now has like a, a seven-minute McGinty's music corner in the top half of the upcoming shows because the McGinty has turned me on to so many bands just in the last two months. And I went to the Bandcamp sites, I bought all the music, and now the, these songs are beginning to filter into the radio show. And the bands are starting to write me like, hey, we're getting traffic at our at our website. And we, we figured out it must be Henry. And thank you, man. And I'm like, you know, it's nice getting a friendly email from some 19 year old, you know, makes an old man who's about to be ready for Medicaid. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but um, um, I will stay on KCRW, I reckon, as long as they'll have me. I've been there since. 2009 mm -hmm. and so far i've not been fired um uh, but you know radio's tough in that you know one day it's all over you get the big heave ho uh npr is a little more gentle than t terrestrial normal terrestrial radio as far as you know a rough room yep but it everything ends and so so far um i was so good but yeah but thanks for listening i i I've wanted to be on the radio ever since I saw American Graffiti first run with my mom, and I saw Wolfman Jack do that amazing cameo. I said, that's the job I want. 
Oh, man. That takes me back. A, a number of those movies I remember from growing up that inspired where I sit today. And I'll tell you something else. I know you're a massive music fan. So am I. That's the reason I got into this business. And it's that feeling you get, that first Ramones album that punches you right in the, as you would say, right in the solar plexus. And we're still kind of chasing after that feeling, that that discovery. You know what I'm saying? So I get a lot of that when I hear some of these bands I'm not familiar with on your program. So again, a thank you for that. Oh, great! You know, it, it's it's chasing a high, uh, but thankfully it's not drugs. It's just rock and roll or or jazz or, or whatever. But you know, uh, I I keep finding that though. You know, I it, it, I, I grew up with arena rock just because of my age. Me and Ian MacKay would go see like Van Halen and Led Zeppelin and Ted Nugent, Aerosmith because that's what was around. And then we heard punk rock, and that was. Suddenly, you know, you're like, wow, that's the insignia on my shield as mm. I go forward into 12th grade. And it, it was such a game change for me. And I went from the arena to being sweated on by D.D. Ramon, <laughs> like literally, or like, you know, standing right in front of Joe Strummer or the Bad Brains or Minor Threat. You know, all of that happened to me or, you know, getting sweated on by Lux Interior of the Cramps always seemed to land on me in his <laughs> underwear. Um, and, and where rock and roll becomes such a visceral experience, like Aerosmith was great, but it's you and 18,000 people, and I'm in the cheap seats. And, you know, Tyler's like this little dot on stage. But then you're standing in fr- you're feeling the kick drum. Like, you know, it's punching you. And you're like, okay, this is, this is a life-changing event. And I, I, I still go to shows where, well, pre-COVID, uh, where I'm like, that was a great night. But it was those initial shows. I don't think that'll ever happen to me again, because once it's happened to you, it's happened to you. But all you can do is, you know, keep the jams going. But the, those first couple of years of, like, going to, you know, a, a, a hippie squat and watching the Bad Brains with 35 other people or being at the first ever Minor Threat show, mm. stuff like that, um, I, you don't come down from that really. Well, I haven't, so I'm still kind of hit upside the head by that particular pan. And I've been staggering for the last 40 years, a, a, a total music fanatic. <laughs> yep. Before I let you go, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time for me today, Henry. I've been blessed in my career to have shared space and worked alongside some of the most fascinating and talented people in music and beyond. And this opportunity today has been one that I'm truly grateful for. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I can't allow an opportunity like this to come and go without a mention of the likes of Lemmy or Ozzy. You know, when you've been given opportunities to meet those you look up to, call them heroes or whatever you like, from stories you've told, it seems like whatever nerves or apprehension you may have had beforehand have disappeared pretty quickly in most cases. Well, you, uh, upon meeting them, you mean? You bet. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, as, as you are with people whose records you really like, you have... Uh, perhaps an unrealistic relationship with these people. You, you know, you know what I mean. Like you love the music and you see them play, and, and they're they're larger than life. But what happens if you walk up to them and you're a grown up man? You're like, uh, uh, Mr. Osborne, I really love what you do. <laughs> Thank you. And he goes, Get away from me, kid. You bother me. Like it would ruin. Like poof, the rock and roll fantasy explodes. Because he's just a tired guy who didn't get enough sleep, and it's three thirty in the morning at Heathrow Airport. I mean, 
that can happen. So I am loathe, and I've seen more than one musician I admire and have not approached. Just because, yeah, give them some space, you know. It's, we're at the airport, and it's early, and who needs it? But you know, I'll just admire from afar. But um, I was lucky in some circumstances where, you know, I got to tour with Ozzy. And I met him because he came, he's a real gent. He's a zero disappointment. Um, he's, he's, just, he's just one of my favorite humans. But, you know, he came into our dressing room. Hey, my name is Ozzy Osbourne, man. And welcome to the tour. And, and he, he shook all of our hands. Is there anything you need, man? And did you play the PA as loud as you want, man? Blow it up. <laughs> leaving out a few, a few words there yep. that he punctuates his <laughs> But um, he, he was so warm. And then I became pals of him. And then luckily after that, met the, the rest of the guys in Black Sabbath, who are like the, the coolest, you know, as cool as you'd hope they would be. And um, I've had those kind of experiences. Lemmy, I met in the 80s. We were both on a panel at the New Music Seminar. And that friendship continued until he passed away to where, you know, I'd, I'd hang out with him in his apartment and we'd listen to music. And, you know, he gave me books, uh, you know, like loan me a couple. I'll leave that one back. Hmm. And uh, But, you know, he also gave me books. And I would bring him things of his, you know, mine, records of his to autograph. And um, he'd always kind of put like a mild insult on the on the record cover, like probably too loud for you, Henry. Like thanks a lot. <laughs> but you know, he, you, you couldn't meet a more decent guy, like honest to a fault, and he'll always tell you what he thought. I'd send him my new record, like oh, I like the last one better. Like well, okay, man, <laughs> thanks. I guess like maybe I shouldn't have done that. But um, just a real sweetheart and generous like every time i'd see him usually he would give me something like new record or a book like i've got stuff and like he he would collect daggers and swords he had all kinds of stuff and one time he gave me this crazy moroccan curved dagger beautifully all hand done he was like i want you to have this and i i was like whoa like okay why Hmm. and he just typical lemmy you're my friend I've always liked you, and I want you to have it. Wow. Like, we almost start crying. Wow. You're my friend. And you're like, damn, man. I, I, I wish I was a better human being to <laughs> talk to people that way. <laughs> and I just remember the last time I saw him, I was, I was doing you know, typical me. I'm doing two nights benefit shows at the Mark Twain Museum to benefit the Mark Twain Museum. Because, you know, like Mark Twain, they always need somebody... And I'm at the hotel, like, four blocks from Mark Twain's house, wherever, Connecticut, wherever it is. And um, this guy walks up to me, and I got my little earplugs in. I'm in the lounge writing, and uh, he waves at me. I'm like, eh, this better be good. And I unplug. I was listening to The Damned. Mm. And he goes, hey, my name is Ian. I said, okay. He goes, um, I, I work with Lemmy. And I went, whoa, Motorhead are in the hotel? And he said, yes. I said, tell Lemmy I'm here. He goes, he knows you're here. I go, well, bring me to him. He goes, he's sleeping. And, Mm. you know, sleep is not easy for Lemmy. His health isn't good. And this is when, you know, he was gone a few months later. Mm. And uh, I said, okay, what are we talking about? And he, you know, described what you could read. He wasn't talking out of class. It was right after that show he had to cancel, like, partway through the set. 
And um, he said, we're going to take off for the show tomorrow. And um, I'm going to, you know, give me your number. I'll text you when we're on the bus and you can come down and say hello to Lemmy. I'm like, okay. So, you know, they're guarding him pretty closely, it looks like. And so the next day, Ian texts me. I run downstairs, I hop on the bus, and there's uh, Mickey D and, and Phil, like nicest guys. And I go to the back lounge, and there's Lemmy. And, you know, he's got, I'm not trying to be mean. He's, he's not looking great, mm-hmm. you know? And then he's like, hey, Henry. I'm like, hey, you know, your road manager gave me the uh, rough mix of the new record, which I guess was Bad Medicine, Bad Magic. I go, damn, man, see, it's a really solid record. It's a really, really good Motorhead record. And I said, man, I, I played it in my room last night. Like, you know, I, and I was quoting lyrics, you know, I, I like this lyric and that lyric. He's a funny guy, good, good lyric writer. And we had a brief conversation. He goes, so um, what song do you want to sing tonight? Like, well, what do you mean? Like, what, you're coming to the show, right? I'm like, oh, no, 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 man. I, I, I'm doing a show down the street from here, a, a benefit for the Mark Twain Museum, which sounds so eh compared to a Motorhead gig. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm here, you know, on a mission to help Mar- Mark Twain. And uh, he went, oh, so you're not coming to the show? And like, I'm like, oh, no. I'm, I'm letting the lem down. I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry, man. No, I'm, no, I, this has been booked for a hundred years. It's like, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, no. no. I'm so sorry. And then, um, luckily, uh, Phil and Nikki came in, and we, the, the four of us hung out for a minute, and then the road manager came in and said, all right, we got to go. And I said goodbye to Lemmy, and he, I didn't know if I was going to see him again, so I just you know shook his hand. I said, Lemmy, it's been really good to see you, my friend. Said, it's been good to see you, Henry. And that's where we left it, and I think that was the year he was gone in December, right? Something yeah, like that. That's right. Um, that was like six weeks before he passed away. And, um, you know, I got the news and I really wasn't surprised. His, his girlfriend called me right before that and said, Hey, you know, she's a professional cook. Like she said, I'm going to make up some food and you're going to come over and we're going to eat. And I'm like, okay, cause I know where they live. Mm-hmm. And you know, it never materialized. Oh. And like, so my last Lenny related conversation was actually talking to, I'm forgetting her name now. Um, but she called me. He's like, I guess she got my number from Lemmy, and I was standing in my kitchen going, cool, dinner plans. You know, mm-hmm. I'll eat. And that was it. But now and then, your heroes don't let you down. And and it's kind of a, a, a teachable moment. Like, if they do let you down, you have to remember, you know, they, they pay taxes. They get up in the morning, and something clicks and pops, and they're like, ouch. You know, they're just people. Yep. And so if they grumble at you at the airport, you know, hey, man, everyone has a bad Wednesday. And, but now and then, some, some of these people wear it really well. Like when you, when you meet some of these people, like Bowie, I, I met Bowie, and he was just, you know, Mr. Charm and Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Um, but guys like Lemmy and the Sabbath guys were ACDC or the ZZ Top guys. I've met some of these people in my life, and they, there's no letdown. And it's a good lesson because people come up to me now and then, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Mr. Rollins, <laughs> I just say my dad old thing. And, and like, uh, 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 I go, you, you thought I'd be taller, right? I mean, I just try and, <laughs> I try and relax them because they're hyperventilating. Right. And I'm very careful to not let them down. Because every once in a while, someone, you know, I'm, I'm, I dress in like $5 clothes. I drive a Mazda 6. I mean, you can find me at the supermarket. I'm not hard to find. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
you know, I don't think I'm anything. And so people come up to me, excuse me, Mr. Rowland, call me Henry. Okay, Henry, I'm, I'm really nervous. Well, let, what's your name? Keith. Hey, Keith, I'm Henry. I know, shorter in person. It's a disappointment. Let's, let's take a minute. And, and like, the, down the guy's laughing. Now we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And he has a good, a good Henry experience. And I'm very, I try very hard to do that with the times my heart was in my throat walking up to someone to meet them, like hoping it was going to go okay. You bet. And that happens to me like at least once every two years. Someone actually has mild trepidation to meet me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Henry. I mean, I was that guy right before my phone rang here. I was uh, saying a little prayer to myself saying, you know, please let this go well, because I, you know, I am a big fan of yours, as I've said. Oh, well, thank you. I, Isaac Hayes once told me, I'm not trying to drop names, but, you know, I interviewed him for quite a, quite a long time that evening. And he said, you know, if you're a known person, the people like, like what you do, like your music. And I told him, I've been listening to you since I was in fifth grade, man. Mm. This is a big deal for me. He's like, well, you know, it's important that you take responsibility for the impact you've made in the world. And, like, you have a responsibility, like, when you meet people to, to kind of – you've got to be your, your, your recorded catalog. You know, you've got to be – you've got to stand up for that and take responsibility. And if you don't want to be recognized, like, you know, don't, don't, don't hire the photographer and do all the promo pictures. Mm-hmm. And um, that stuck with me because he's, he's someone he was – really cool to me and it meant a lot because I've, I've loved his music since I was a kid. He's a brilliant composer. And so, um, you know, these people, you know, politicians come and go, but, you know, it's the, for me, it's been the musicians and the artists who have impacted me, great writers, great musicians who've made my life better, who've made it livable. You know, some days are, you know, pretty, pretty bad, but you put a, you put a Coltrane record on, you're like, well, you know what? I think I'm going to be able to get through this. And so I lean on music really hard, and so you you have to be that for someone else when they come knocking. Same. April 23rd, can't get here soon enough. Hoyt Sherman Place, Henry Rollins, live. Good to see you, 2022. And here's the moment, Henry, where I become maybe a little more memorable for you. I know you've got a great recall anyway, but on behalf of the Mark Twain slash Samuel Clemens family, I'd like to thank you for doing that show and not ducking out. I am actually related to Mark Twain. Whoa! Yes. Wasn't he something? I tell you, that's a that's a conversation for another time when I don't feel like I've taken way too much of your time already. But uh, someday, my friend, because, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Wow. That I, I, I have no doubt. Wow. Yep. Good for you. That's cool. <laughs> so thank you for doing that gig. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, and it's not the first time I, I've, I've been there on two or three occasions. I just uh, I'm logistically, you know, they, they've come knocking a few times. I, I've done it like. Two or three times now, um, and you know, if I if I'm in if I'm close by and the schedule lines up, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, so it's a beautiful small theater they have there. It's and it, yeah, everyone has a good time. It's 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 fun night. And my pay, I get barbecue. They take me to a really cool barbecue place down the road. Oh, uh, you can't hate that. No, <laughs> free dinner. And I, I'll I'll do a talking show for free dinner. Absolutely. Well, hey, Henry, thank you again so much for the time and for the great conversation. I hope to have it again soon with you. Oh, thank you, and I'll see you down the road.